All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Tooth Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, continuing the uh, NCAA tournament region-by-region breakdowns that we're doing over on the Marching to Madness podcast. Uh, as always, sharing them uh, over here on the Southeast Tooth Podcast as well, since there are SEC teams in every region. And there's two in particular in the East region, which is uh, next up on our list. Uh, we go through, break down all the first-round matchups and look at teams that could make uh, a run to the Final Four. And if you're an SEC fan, there's uh, one team in particular out of this region uh, that is, in our discussion, uh, picked as a team that can make it to Minneapolis. So uh, a fun discussion, as always, that we had uh, on this particular region, looking at all the different matchups, uh, talking about teams that can pull upsets, uh, and maybe the teams that have the most realistic chance of advancing to the Final Four. So uh, if you missed any of the other ones uh, that we've done, you can go back through, listen to the Midwest and the West. We'll also have one coming up on the South. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into our 2019 NCAA Tournament East Region Breakdown. To the East, and um, I think it's pretty safe to say there's only one place to start, and we might as well go ahead and jump right in. As always, we'll go through, preview every single first-round game, and then we'll answer uh, some pretty fascinating questions towards the end to give you an idea of who we think will advance, who the sleeper teams could be, and all that good stuff. So let's go ahead and start at the top, Ken. Uh, Number one seed, Duke, taking on uh, the 16th seed, which will either be North Carolina Central or North Dakota State. I think at this point, uh, we're probably better off looking at uh, the team like Duke, who is undoubtedly going to be the favorite, in many people's opinion, to win this entire thing. Um, maybe, you know, we're going we're gonna to put this point spreads for all these games as we go throughout, but maybe a, a better question is to guess the point spread uh, heading into the matchup, no matter who the opponent is. Uh, it's going to be a tough challenge, and that is putting it lightly uh, for the winner of this uh, play-in game on the 16 line. Yeah, it it is. I mean, you know, you start talking about uh, how you defend Duke, and unfortunately, I don't think either one of these teams, you know, can even do the things that that people who've been successful do. But um, you know, you start with Zion Williamson, uh, and you know his name has been worn out by the media, by ESPN, and you know now CBS, uh, but. You know, he, he's had a great year. I was really surprised that he was voted the ACC's Player of the Year just because of the injury situation. You know, he was the freshman of the year, I think. And I've got a, a very definite way I think you stop him. You've got to have the horses now, but you crowd that paint. You keep him out of the paint. And, and that's going to be your focus. And, and if he gets the ball in there, you simply foul him. You use up all your fouls. Uh, he's not a good free throw shooter, and we, and we know he's not a jump shooter anyway. Um, I think the big thing, you know, with Duke is they're not a really good three-point shooting team. So, you know, if you can stop that paint uh, and crowd it up real good, you're going to have a shot. But it's good to see Lavelle Moten get uh, the Eagles back in here. Uh, I, I think they'll beat North Dakota State. 
Uh, and then, you know, Lavelle Moten, he's told us, he said, you know, he, he's very lucky being at North Carolina Central there in Durham but because he's been able to forge a good relationship with Coach K and Roy Williams both. So, you know, a little sidebar there, I guess, to what could be the matchup. Yep, and all that you mentioned, and certainly uh, doing all that against Duke is going to be easier said than done for, for any opponent, no matter whether it's a 16 seed or a 1 seed. Um, you know, being able to stop them, keep them out of the pain is just something that many teams just have not been able to do. And it's going to take a, a tough effort. Like you said, you almost wish if you're the opposition, you had 25 players on the bench. Uh, that way you can get all your fouls in and, and hope for the best by making them shoot free throws uh, or three point line. Like you mentioned, 338th in the country is shooting a little over 30%. Uh, but yet they take a lot of threes too. And so it's one of those things where that's your best bet is to simply Try to pack it in, uh, make them take as many shots as they can outside of the perimeter, and pretty much hope for the best at that point uh, to beat this Duke team that is absolutely loaded with talent. Um, so that's probably what either North Carolina Central or North Dakota State is going to try to do because, like you said, that's pretty much the only chance you got. I agree. And then R.J. Barrett, you know, I, if I was going to draft, I think R.J. Barrett's got many more facets to his game than Zion does. And that's who my number one pick in the NBA draft would be. But I'll tell you what, you get beyond those two guys, I think Trey Jones and Cam Reddish, and then there's a huge drop-off. So if you, you know, if you come through this tournament and you've got a bench and you've got familiarity with them, then there's the people that are going to have a good, a good chance, a good shot maybe to beat them. They're not invincible they they're just talked about like they're invincible and i think cam reddish to me is a shouting example of why these guys shouldn't you know all culminate on one bench to try to play together because i think he's probably you know cost himself a lot of notoriety which leads to a lot of money uh in and being the third wheel down there in durham uh, you know, with this group and, and, you know, what if he'd gone somewhere, you know, where they wanted to use him as the number one option and had all these different ways to get him the ball and do things. I mean, the focal points being totally on, uh, RJ Barrett and Zion, just like last year, it was more Marvin Bagley than Wendell Carter. And Wendell Carter said, well, I didn't have a chance really to show because Bagley was who, you know, they wanted to work everything through and to. Yep, the NBA effect with the super teams, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, you know, and they, they were asked about that, I think, on, right after the uh, the show, the selection show, they were on ESPN asked about the whole super team thing and whether that was going to be a trend going forward. And I mean, look, it probably is. You're going to see people do that. You're going to see others go their own way, and uh, we'll kind of see the mix of both probably as we go along in the college game. But uh, I think most people have heard about Duke uh, a lot now, and we probably don't need to mention anything else. Uh, you know how good they are. You know what their chances are of winning this whole thing. Uh, but you did mention familiarity with them, and there could be a team here down the line that we're going to talk about uh, here in a little bit that, that has a lot of familiarity with them. But before we get there, uh, let's go to the 8-9 game, number 8 VCU against number 9 Central Florida. That's on Friday, 9.40 p.m. Eastern, uh, these games in Columbia uh, UCF is a one and a half point favorite right now. One of those lines is going to swing back and forth probably a bit. And I think a lot of it's going to be based on Marcus Evans, Ken, because uh, his status is something that probably is going to determine a lot with this game. 
such a an important part of what VCU does. And when you think about a team uh, that really, you know, their defense is what drives them. That's been the case for many, many years now. And you have Mike Rhodes, uh, who's in there putting them in a spot defensively, where they're seventh in the country defensive efficiency. Uh, a great kind of a three-point shooting defense team, but they are a bad three-point shooting team themselves. Uh, so that's kind of a, a contrast there when you look at it. Interesting matchup because I think you got two teams here that that maybe, like we said, may play a little bit differently uh, in a sense. Uh, but when you look at VCU, just kind of their style of play versus a UCF team that gets to the free throw line a whole lot. Uh, against a VCU team that's going to foul, as we know, Ken, and that type of style of play sometimes does make for kind of a, a fascinating dynamic between these two. Right, and I think Marcus Evans has to be healthy and, and available and uh, has to be able to make a difference for the Rams to win this ball game. Now, they've got Isaac Van and Dariante Jenkins uh, on that perimeter, you know, that they can use as slashers, and that'll help them create shots. But, you know... That the opponent's average possession length is 18.7 seconds. So, like you say, they work the opponents, uh, and then they force them into bad shots defensively. The key, uh, I think, for UCF is Taco Fall. You know, inside, uh, if he stays out of foul trouble, they they could be an interesting matchup for Duke because of Johnny Dawkins being the head coach. And, and, you know, he played for Coach K. He was on the bench with him for uh, seven or eight years, I think. Um, A really good, uh, experienced Central Florida basketball team, B.J. Taylor, Aubrey Dawkins. Uh, You know, Taylor's such a solid ball handler, and Dawkins is a really good athlete. I think a lot of the NBA people are starting to pick up on him uh, and look at him as well well with the eight nine games i think uh, we say this a lot and probably going to be the case for a lot of these eight nine games we've already talked about some of them some of these can be rock fights i mean they they can be sort of grinded out you know type of games where defense is kind of everything and i think that's probably going to be the case in this particular matchup, I don't think we're going to see an 80-78 type of game or anything like that. You're probably going to see uh, a defensive type of, of, of style in this one. If VCU can control the tempo, like you said, uh, they want to try to get up and down the floor, but that's not necessarily UCF strength. Uh, so how each team sort of plays their style, and like we said, if VCU is able to slow down uh, UCF and you know force turnovers and are able to kind of turn that into some offense, uh, it could be a good day there for the Rams. But either one uh, will certainly, from a, from a style perspective, uh, present some interesting things uh, for Duke in the second round. All right, Ken, speaking of uh, fascinating matchups, let's move on down to the 5-12, and that's uh, the 5 seed Mississippi State taking on number 12, Liberty. Now, that's on Friday, 7.27 p.m. Eastern uh, in San Jose. Mississippi State currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, we've talked about Liberty a lot. Uh, we had Richie McKay on the podcast, and uh, that's, a, that's a team coming into the season. We said, hey, th- there's a team you probably need to watch out for. Sure enough, they're able to get through the A-Sun, beat Lipscomb on their home court in the A-Sun title game to get to the spot. Um, but I do think also it's we, we talk about matchups. It doesn't feel like the greatest matchup for Liberty, even in this 5-12 spot, because you have a Mississippi State team that has that size, has that athleticism we just continue to talk about throughout the season. 
to me, this whole entire thing is going to come down to, to Mississippi State's discipline because this is a team that has had a tendency over the years to take bad shots and maybe rush shots sometimes. I don't think they can afford to do that. They're going to have to value possessions here uh, against the Liberty team, like we say, that's going to certainly be very efficient on the offensive side of the court. Uh, They've been doing that both from two-point range, from the free throw line. I think Mississippi State, this whole thing's about discipline. They can't afford uh, to go out and try to, you know, just take bad shots and not be patient because they're going to have to be against a team like Liberty on both sides of the court, really. Yeah, Liberty's done a really good job. Richie McKay, of course, off Tony Bennett's bench at Virginia. It's his second tour of duty at Liberty. uh, Liberty. Uh, I think, uh, you know, like you say, they're going to have to control the tempo. They do not want to start going up and down the court with Mississippi State. Uh, Lamar Peters, Tyson Carter, Kendary Weatherspoon, uh, then it will be a mismatch. But they do get balanced scoring out of Scotty James, you know, who averages 13.1 points per game, and I think they've got three others in double figures. Um, where I think the Bulldogs are going to win this game is uh, in, in the paint with their big people, uh, and Abdul Adu and Eric Holman. Eric Holman's becoming more and more of a tough, tough matchup as he's showing a really good jump shot, a three on the perimeter. And then Ben Halland, his fourth year, uh, he gets the Bulldogs back into the NCAA tournament, you know, just like Bruce Pearl did at Auburn. Uh, last year was their first trip back, and uh, Ben's done a great job, you know, kind of establishing a culture, rebuilding the program, uh, totally upgrading the recruiting. Uh, so, you know, this this is a intriguing game for a while, but I think Mississippi State's got too many guns and too much power inside. They have a big size advantage for the Bulldogs in this one, and that's where I think, like you said, if you're looking at what's going to be a strength and what's something Mississippi State can exploit, it's going to be their size and certainly their offensive rebounding ability. They've done a really good job on the boards this season, uh, even in a, a place like the SEC where you have a lot of really good rebounding teams. Uh, Mississippi State was able to get a, a lot of offensive boards, turn that into second-chance opportunities. Uh, so it is. It's going to all be about style, and if Mississippi State plays discipline enough to where they get good shots um, and you know they're able to get some stuff in transition, it may be a, a decent matchup, even though I do think this is going to be one of those 5-12 games that you're going to see a lot of people pick as an upset uh, just because Liberty's ability uh, playing that pack line defense, able to kind of control the game the way they want it to, to go, If they can do that, this could be a game that goes down to the wire. Um, All right, Kim, moving on down. We talked about familiarity earlier. Number four, Virginia Tech against number 13, St. Louis, also on Friday, 9.57 p.m. Eastern in San Jose. Virginia Tech currently an 11-point favorite in that game. We have to start with the return of Justin Robinson. I mean, certainly getting him back is going to be a huge boost. And here's another thing to me. Going through, breaking down these two teams, kind of seeing where they're both at, if you're St. Louis, I don't think you could have asked for a worse matchup in this particular spot. If you're going to be a 13 seed playing a four, I don't think Virginia Tech was a good matchup for them because St. Louis all season long, even though they've gotten hot here down the stretch, not an efficient offensive team. They struggle to make shots from outside. They're the, or I think they're the worst or second worst free throw shooting team in the country. You're going up against a Virginia Tech team that is top 10 in an effective field goal percentage, eighth in the country in three-point shooting. 
I think this could be one of those games where Virginia Tech gets hot early, getting Robinson back, they might run away with this thing quick. Yeah, I think they might too. And I, I, the emergence, uh, talk about Justin Robinson, of course, Nick Alexander Walker's done a heck of a job in their backcourt, you know, to hold things down while Robinson's been gone. So versatile, you know, uh, and he's the type of kid, he picks up the team, uh, you know, and he carries them. He's got a really good three ball, but the emergence of Kenny Blackshear inside uh, has made Virginia Tech that much tougher of an out. Just ask Duke what he did to them. And, you know, he comes in, uh, you know, noted as a scorer, rebounder, but he also averages 2.3 assists per game out of that post. That's going to be a big matchup with Hassan French uh, of St. Louis. You know, he's a shot blocker and a defender. He's going to have to make Blackshear. He's going to have to make Blackshear unavailable, which I don't think he can do. Uh, and, and, you know, the Billikens, uh, they, uh, they like you say, offensively, it, it, it's been a, a, a struggle. And St. Bonaventure, for some way, blew a big lead against them uh, Big early league in the A-10 final. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be the Hokies, and I, I think they're going to they're going to roll into the round of 32. Yeah, they. it just feels like a good matchup, and that's not to take anything away from the Billikens from getting to this point, but it is all about matchups. And I think just by looking at it on paper, which is what we have to do at this point, we have to look at things on paper, see how everything kind of stacks up for each team. This feels like one where the Hokies uh, should be able to exploit a lot of weaknesses with, with that St. Louis group uh, and, and be able to, to have a chance to advance there. An old Metro Conference matchup from back in the day in the <laughs> 80s when the Billikens and, uh, and the fighting gobblers, as they were, and as they still are, there used to play. Yep, yeah, there you go. So there's uh, the NCAA, as we know, doesn't lack storylines. Uh, no, when sure. we go into these matchups, they always have something in mind. And sure enough, we've got another one to talk about here in this particular side of the region coming up here in a second. Uh, before we get there, we go to number six, Maryland, taking on number 11, either Temple or Belmont. We are currently watching this game right now as we record. Uh, it's pretty much a back-and-forth type of game here at this point, midway through the second half. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of just go on the basis, Ken, of talking a little bit about Maryland and then the potential matchup with either one of these teams. Uh, you know, with Maryland, to me... They've got a lot of upside, but if you look at kind of the way they played, I don't think Maryland's played great basketball since probably mid-January or so. Um, it just doesn't feel like they, they've kind of had that same rhythm that they had earlier in the season. They are a good team, uh, you know, that, that's able to score and, and just, you know, they've got some positives, but like we said, you want to see that consistency with them. They don't have a lot of experience. Uh, I think it's a situation where either one of these teams, Temple or Belmont, and I'll be willing to bet probably by the time we're done recording this, the game may be over and we may be able to go back and revisit this. But, you know, I think either one of them gives Maryland a little bit of trouble here uh, because Belmont, you've got such an efficient offensive team that takes a lot of threes, and we always say that. A team that just gets hot and can hit a lot of threes is, can be a dangerous matchup in this type of tournament setting uh, where it's survive in advance. Uh, if they're missing, probably not. But if they're hitting shots, it can be dangerous uh, for the opponent. And then you got a Temple team uh, with Fran Dunphy, one of our favorites, someone who's going to be you know coaching in his last games here throughout this tournament. Uh, they do a great job taking care of the ball. They've got good guard play. 
I don't know. This, this is kind of one of those that's probably going to be a little underrated when you talk about first-round matchups. You're going to get a chance to see it there in Jacksonville. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, I think, in either either situation, no matter who Maryland plays. Yeah, I think either team with the experience both these teams have, Belmont and Temple, are going to give Maryland trouble. Um, the big thing they've got to do is keep Bruno Fernando off the boards. He averages 10.5 rebounds a game, 1.9 blocks. He uh, He's the, the, the focal point of the Maryland team. And then, you know, Jalen Smith and Eric Ayala have had really good years, uh, you know, as freshmen. Uh, for Mark Turgeon, who always, it seems like if somebody's always throwing darts at Mark Turgeon in College Park, <laughs> and they're doing it again this year. Uh, but Maryland, a really good rebounding team. They are inconsistent. I mean, how do you lose when you got the talent they do, though? How do you lose to Penn State? Uh, not only lose to them, but lose in a resounding fashion. Uh, but yet, you know, they can go toe-to-toe and they can battle with Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan uh, you know, and, and, you know, put themselves at least in the mix for upper echelon Big Ten honors. It's it's an interesting Maryland team, but I'll tell you, man, Dylan Wendler, if it's if it's Belmont, averages a double-double, uh, shoots 54.8% from the field. We're going to see him at the next level. Yeah, with Maryland, you go back, you know, you mentioned all the teams they played, and they played a tough schedule this year. And even go back to that Virginia game they played in late November. Sure, both teams are improved since that point, are playing a little different. But, I mean, they lost by five at home to Virginia. So they've played a lot of quality teams, and that's something that you want to see from some of these going into a tournament atmosphere, teams that have been tested before. Um, and certainly Maryland's done that in the Big Ten this year and also in their non-conference portion of the schedule. Uh, so, yeah, it's just sort of matter. Look, you've still got a team that's in the top 30. You look at Ken Palm and adjusted efficiency in both offense and defense. So they have that potential, and I think they're one of those teams that has potential to win a couple games here if they play up to the way that I think everyone knows they can play. Uh, otherwise, you get a Temple team or a Belmont team that's kind of hot. We know how it is with these first four games. You win a game, you got a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum going into that second game, and sometimes we've seen it where teams can just start reeling off wins and all of a sudden turn it into sort of a Cinderella type of thing. And I'll tell you, wouldn't it be awesome to see a Cinderella type of run from either Belmont or Temple based on uh, knowing Belmont's situation, getting in as an OVC at large, and then Temple with Fran Dunphy, like we said, uh, it'd be a pretty cool story uh, either way for either one of those teams. But uh, for the game that will be uh, the opponent that they'll face, uh, the winner of that game will be number three LSU or number 14 Yale, which will be on Thursday as well, 12.40 p.m. Eastern, uh, one of the first games of the actual traditional start of the tournament, LSU currently a seven-point favorite, which that's one that kind of stands out to people, I would say, as a 314, only being a seven-point favorite. But we know why, Ken, and it's because uh, sort of LSU's situation, not having Will Wade on the sidelines. Tony Benford, the interim coach, uh, will still be in charge here. And I think really we've seen LSU a lot this year. For them, it's all about mindset. How does LSU come out? Uh, are they rejuvenated after losing that game to Florida, the very first one? You know, they step on the court in the SEC tournament. They get beat by Florida. How are they sort of adjusted and rejuvenated since that? Because if they play the way everyone in the country knows they can play, considering that they've won at Kentucky this year, they've beaten Tennessee, 
Um, they're in just an excellent offensive team. They have a lot of just freakish athletes on that squad. You have Tremont Waters, one of the best point guards, playmakers in the country, but they don't have experience, and Yale does have that experience. They're very good, sort of efficient type of team. This is one of those matchups. As much as I love LSU, I think their athletes can completely take over this game with their ability to get up and down the floor. If they get things rolling in transition, it's going to be a fun game. But I think if you're LSU, though, knowing all the other stuff, like we said, they got to be careful here and can't overlook a team like Yale that's pretty efficient in what they do. Right. Yeah. James Jones has done a great job at Yale, you know, uh, with the Bulldogs and and coming there and uh, sitting down a really uh, uh, solid program. Four players average in double figures, led by Mie Oni, who a lot of people say are an, is an NBA prospect here yep. uh, right off the bat. You know, there's going to be no G League for him, right, yep. uh, at 17.6 a game and 46%. I, I love LSU. I, I hate this for Will Wade. I just hate the situation for him. He's a good dude. But I'm telling you one thing, man. They won a an SEC championship, regular season championship, outright with him coaching this team and, and calling the plays and calling the shots. You know, it's kind of odd. They don't shoot the three ball that well, only 32.4%. But Nas Reed has added that three-point shot to go with his inside game. And, and, you know, I love nothing more than a big man that can step out on that perimeter and shoot the three or, or be a facilitator, a passer. And, uh, you know, you look at their slashing ability. I mean, we know Tremont Waters can score from the outside. Javante's smart. But when they, when they dribble drive and they wheel dish and set these guys up, you know, uh, 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 Darius Days and Marlon Taylor on those wings. And when they start getting the ball going at the basket and getting Cavell Bigby Williams in there, you know, to, to get some offensive rebounds and stuff, uh, they're massive and they flex their muscle and they assert their presence. I, I've kind of got LSU going a long way in this thing. Well, here's the thing for me, and it goes back to something we saw with our own eyes in person. LSU finds itself in a close game. Tony Bedford, look, the guy's got experience, but he didn't do himself any favors with what happened in the final couple minutes of that Florida game, getting a technical foul that he had absolutely no business getting. Um, You know, and he got warned a couple times, and he just kept pushing and pushing. You just cannot do that. And whether you like it or not, that did play a role in LSU losing that game to Florida. Mm -hmm. There were were other plays after it, but that that played a significant role because it was a five- or six-point swing um, when LSU had a lot of momentum. And that's something that just can't happen. And that's what we say. That's something that could come into play if you get these close games. You want to be able uh, to put yourself in a situation, and certainly he'll learn from it. Everybody learns from that type of stuff. Uh, But if we're talking about pure talent, LSU has the talent to go a long way. Like you mentioned, regular season champions in the SEC, uh, that doesn't just happen just based on luck. And they, they did a really good job. They've got the horses to go a long way and can compete with, with I think, the top two seeds in this region. Uh, so LSU could be a very intriguing team as long as they come out focused with that mindset that they've had, sort of that, that carefree, 
um, determined sort of mindset they've had all season. They should be fine here, but they can't afford to overlook a team like Yale, like you said, with an NBA prospect and some guys that can do some things very well uh, with how they play. So, all right, Ken, moving down to the bottom part of the bracket, uh, number seven, Louisville, against number 10, Minnesota. That is on Thursday, 12, 15 p.m. Eastern uh, in Des Moines. Louisville, a five-point favorite in that one. Once again, Ken, that old sneaky committee. Boy, they just yeah. they are just throwing these sneaky storylines that no one could ever figure out at us. Um, boy, it's hard to believe that, that we got this matchup, but sure enough, uh, they they know what they're doing, and uh, it should be a fun one, though. I mean, it should be a fun game, and you've got Louisville team that, hey, you can look at Louisville's record. I think it's one of the most deceiving things in this tournament in the first round. Louisville's played one of the toughest schedules there is, and they have 13 losses on the year, and it's it's one of those things where, oh, well, you know, they've, they've got 13 losses. Nine of those 13 losses are to teams seated five or higher in this tournament. So if you want to look at Louisville and talk about all the losses – I mean, they haven't come against bad competition for the most part. They've come against teams that are elite type of teams that feel like they have a chance to make a Final Four. Uh, And with their defense, uh, Louisville's a tough matchup here for Minnesota just because I don't think Minnesota has that offensive consistency uh, that maybe they've had in years past. It just seems like one of those things we talk about matchups. I don't feel like it's a great matchup for Minnesota here. No, it's a terrible matchup for Minnesota, and I I wonder – you know, kind of how they got in. I think it's the 20-game schedule and that quadrant thing, again, where it's measuring games, you know, uh, for for teams like Minnesota, uh, you know, that, that raises that net rating, which that thing's got to be revisited. I think we talked about that on, on, a, on one of our other podcasts. But anyway, Minnesota was 2-6 and six in February. They beat Purdue twice. Uh, and then they, they were able to get to the semifinals in the Big Ten tournament. I guess that was enough, um, you know. Uh, but this Louisville team is a hard-nosed group. Uh, if they hadn't lost that 23-point lead against Duke and had blown them on out, I kind of wonder where they might have been now because they went on to lose four out of their last six games, albeit two of those to Virginia. Uh, so, you know, it's, I, I think it's a situation where, like you say, they're 19 and 13. It's a deceiving record. Uh, you know, they, they definitely, I think would have had more wins, but, uh, Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams, you know, they got good depth in the paint. I think they're going to be a hard matchup for the golden Gophers as is Jordan Wara. I, I tell you, you talking about a kid that's really improved, uh, since last year, he leads those Cardinals in scoring at 17.3 points and 7.7 boards per game. And they're, you know, they've turned into an even better defensive team as the season's gone on. And they, Chris Man, uh, Chris Mack came in and established that culture. And they've got the same mantra right now that we saw his Xavier teams play with. Yep, Louisville's going to have to stay out of foul trouble. Mentioned earlier, Minnesota does a great job getting to the free throw line. Um, they're not going to beat you from beyond the arc. That They don't take a lot. They don't score a lot of points from three. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They're just not going to – it's not something that's going to happen. So you're going to have to stop Minnesota inside the paint. You're going to have to stop them from getting to the free throw line. If Louisville could do that, I think they're going to be fine. 
uh, because again, it just doesn't feel like Minnesota has that overwhelming offensive type of, of presence this year with this particular team, and it feels like Louisville defensively uh, could be able to exploit some of those things that, that Minnesota tries to do on the offensive side of the court. Uh, all right, Ken, let's uh, wrap up the first round matchups here with number two, Michigan State, against number 15, Bradley, also on Thursday, 2.45 p.m. Eastern in Des Moines as well. Michigan State, an 18.5-point favorite. Uh, I feel like we, we said this a lot in this particular region. Uh, certainly, the 215 game, we, we talked about Michigan and Montana in the West. That's one that could be sort of uh, interesting, maybe fascinating, because they, the two teams have played in this tournament last year, and just because of the way Montana does a few things, I don't think that's the case in this one. Uh, you know, not, not a good draw for Bradley at all. You know that you're going to get uh, tough teams as a 15, but – this is not a good matchup against a Michigan State team, top 10 in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency, played one of the toughest schedules of anyone. You've got Tom Izzo on the sidelines. They went 10-1 and one against top 25 teams. Uh, I think Bradley's only chance here, you have to control the tempo. If you don't do that, uh, it's not going to be close. No, and, you know, it's a Bradley team that got hot at the right time in the tournament. I mean, they're, they're very mediocre. Uh, you know, they, they actually had the nerve excuse sister Jean in the semifinals of the uh, Missouri Valley tournament beating the Ramblers. Um, I, I, I think that even though Michigan State's had, uh, you know, the injury problems, like you say, with Langford and Nick Ward, uh, this is going to be a game that that's uh, uh, over pretty early. Cassius Winston's had a great year for them. This is a Michigan State team. It's defense, of course is a Tom Izzo staple. They only allow 37.6% from the floor. Uh, and this team shares a basketball real well. They're 11th in the country in assist to turnover ratio. Well, we don't want to say anything bad about Bradley because, uh, as the reports show, they, they may try to ban you, and we don't want that to happen. <laughs> um, I mean, joke. it is what it is, but, yeah, it, we're, we're not lying about it. So, yeah, it's just it's not a good matchup, and it's just something where, hey, it is what it is. I mean, it's a two fifteen, and and let's face it, Michigan State being in the same region as Duke is – senseless anyways you know it goes back to the committee uh i think did a great job overall for the most part but a couple of these things the michigan state thing the auburn thing uh, really was kind of glaring in terms of where they placed uh those two teams so yeah not not a good matchup for bradley um and it's going to be one where michigan state's able to, to kind of control things here probably and take care of business so um all right ken that wraps up the game by game previews now let's get to the fun part that everyone enjoys and that's going through uh picking uh some answers here on several uh intriguing questions here in this region all right we start with the uh most anticipated first round matchup i'm gonna go lsu and yale for the reasons we talked about you know the how how are we going to see lsu come out and how are they going to play again uh, those kids, you know, they love Will Wade. I mean, they put, they, they, you know, they, they play with their heart on their sleeve, kinda. They're young, they're youthful, they have a lot of exuberance. It's a, it's a Yale team that, uh, you know, obviously doesn't have the raw talent of LSU, but they're experienced and they're well coached and they run a good system. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting to see how that manifests itself as that game goes on. I'm going to say, and there's several choices here. The obvious uh -huh. one, probably to most people's, I would think probably Mississippi state and Liberty. Um, mm -hmm. But 
I'm going to go, and, and again, I, I don't want to put the jinx on anybody here, but we're watching Belmont and Temple. It appears it's going to lean one way versus the other. Um, and I, I just think that the winner of that game, I don't want to say it yet because I don't want to mm-hmm. jinx anyone, but I think that, that game against Maryland is going to be very – uh, one of those entertaining type of games because, like we said, the the effect of winning that first four game, having that momentum, we've seen teams do it. We go all the way back to when VCU did it. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where you feel like that potential's there. Uh, so I, I think that one's one you really look at. But like we said, you look at Mississippi State Liberty. I mean, VCU UCF is also one that's probably yeah. going to go down to the wire. Um, you know, so there, there is there's several good choices. This is a fun little region when you talk about the first round matchups. Uh, but I do think the winner of this Belmont Temple game against Maryland, knowing that Maryland's kind of been a little up and down, uh, could be one of those that produces an upset, and that could be uh, a lot of fun there. So, uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. Ken, uh, your upset lock in this region, if there is one. Upset lock. Well, you know, it's it's – it's a tough one because I honestly don't, don't see anything here. I'm going to consider an upset. I don't think the, that the Belmont temple winner over Maryland is going to be that big of an upset. So I'm going to say there's not one. Well, that's what I was going to say. You, you look at it. I, there's not a lock here at all. I just, you know, I think some of the other regions we've looked at and said, boy, we mm-hmm. feel maybe 70 plus percent sure that one of these, uh, you know, underdogs is going to win this game, but I don't think you can say that for any of the underdogs in this. Uh, and even the best potential is that Belmont Temple winner against Maryland, probably uh, just knowing the effect, like we said. But again, a lot of people are going to look at Liberty, though. And I'll tell you, I just I'm not confident enough uh, about that one, but it's certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's far from a lock, but that is one that I think if you go down the line, those are the two to choose from. Temple Belmont versus Maryland or Liberty versus Mississippi State uh, because the other matchups, like we said, you just feel like uh, the higher seed is in a pretty good spot in the rest of those. So, uh, all right, Ken, moving along here. Um, the seven seed or lower that could win multiple games, if there is a seven seed or lower that can win multiple games. How about Louisville? You know, I, I can see Louisville's already beaten Michigan State, albeit it was at a different point of the season, and the two teams, you know, were different than they are now. But, you know, this this Louisville team, it, it's battle-tested. Uh, you know, we're talking about earlier, uh, you know, who all they had lost to, uh, you know, twice to North Carolina, twice to Virginia, and then once to Duke. Uh, and they're they're really in all of those games. They weren't blown out of any of them. I mean, they were there battling. And uh, I think the the fact that Chris bought all of these uh, or bought several graduate uh, student players in there, Kristen Cunningham, you know, uh, for one from Samford, I think it's going to have. I think it's going to have a. Uh, interesting uh, undertone i think if the cardinals play michigan state so i'll i'll go with louisville. yep i think louisville's the choice too uh, even as much as i like michigan state the way they're playing that's a heavyweight type of matchup in that second round like we said because louisville's played so many tough games they've beaten them already 
Um, it's they're tested enough to, to be able to, to handle that type of challenge. You got a guy like Chris Mack who's been in this position before. Uh, so, yeah, Louisville, the seventh seed or lower, certainly looks like the best opportunity uh, in that particular spot. All right, Ken, moving along here, how many teams realistically you think can win this region? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I think you're going to say Duke, Michigan State, LSU, and that's it. Three. All right. Three. Um, I'll tell you, I think it's four. And I think Virginia Tech's in that mix uh, because we mentioned familiarity. And they're going to be an underdog if that's the matchup. If it's Duke and Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16, Virginia Tech's going to be an underdog. But I, I just think with a team that shoots the three as well as they do, and how they play, you know, they're a good offensive team, but I don't think they get credit for how they play defense, too. They could make things interesting on Duke. If if that happens, I think you could say Virginia Tech's got a chance to win this region, and that's sure. where you said that familiarity can come into play in that type of setting. Uh, I don't think if you're Duke, everybody just all, just assumes that Duke's going to walk into the Final Four here. I, don't, yeah. I think you probably wish there was another four seed rather than a team in your own conference that has proven their ability to beat good teams. Um, you, and you know, they beat them already. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. They've not just beat Duke, but they've beaten other good teams, and it's not like a fluke type of thing. Um, th- there's a reason why Virginia Tech uh, you know, is 11th in Ken Palm, and you look at all the, the metrics and all that. The way they play is not easy to prepare for, and that's why I think it is – uh, it can be four teams, and I would say it, it is that, you know, those four, the top four seeds here, you feel like really have a good chance uh, in this region. All right, let's uh, wrap it up here with this. Uh, Ken, your pick for the winner of the East region. Yeah, you know, I think Chalk says Duke. Uh, I think Michigan State, I think there was too much made maybe about them being in the same region as Duke, I, I think you 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 eventually you're going to have to play them. Uh, you know, if you both get that far, uh, it, but I'm going to go. I'm going to take uh, uh, kind of the maverick approach and go with LSU. Mm. I, I I just think these kids, the chips are down right now. They they've got they're going to come out. They're going to play with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to play for Will Wade, and they're going to show America what kind of basketball we all saw them play in the SEC this year. The key, I think, is to be communication on the bench. I think Tony Benford's assistants even have to be more active in advising him and helping him through this because it is different for an interim coach. Uh, than a head coach in this situation. I'm going to I'm going to take the Mavericks way out and pick the Bayou Bengals. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to be picking the Bayou Bengals, uh, but they're talented enough to do it. I will say that uh, they've got the talent, and if you know if they were to you know wind up being uh, a team that that plays Duke in that that region, hey. There'd be a lot of talent on the floor in that one, and that would be a fun basketball game. Uh, I'm going to take the the easy uh, pick here, Ken. I just Duke, man, when they're playing well, I just don't know how you pick against them because of everything uh, that they've done and everything that they have on the court there. 
Uh, it's just when you put yourself in a, in a winner-go-home scenario and you've got talent like that, I know they don't have the experience, uh, but my goodness, they've got an elite group of talent that can do so many things on both sides of the court. I just feel like Duke is the best pick in this scenario if you have to pick one team from this from this thing to advance. Uh, but I, I also wouldn't look past Michigan State. I, I do think Michigan State, that the schedule they've played this year, that they've proven their ability uh, to win big game after big game. It's it's tough, and that, that's going to be a fun game if it happens. But I'll stick with Duke and make them the pick uh, to win the East region. All right, there you have it, our 2019 NCAA Tournament East Region Preview. Uh, looking at the matchups and uh, making some picks for the teams that could advance, both LSU and Mississippi State uh, in that part of the bracket, and both uh, have interesting paths ahead if they want to reach the Final Four. So uh, be sure you subscribe to Southeast Tubes Podcast. Just go over any podcast app you use, search for Southeast Tubes. That way you get all these uh, previews and additional episodes here as we go uh, throughout the tournament and as we go through the offseason. So that way you don't miss any great SEC basketball stuff that we have on the way. You can head over to southeasttubes.com. You can get written stuff over there. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at TheBlakeLevel. Have some periscopes uh, we're doing now. Uh, That way we can immediately discuss games as they happen uh, and all sorts of fun stuff on that. Uh, And we'll have more uh, region previews with the South to go. And as I mentioned earlier, if you haven't already listened to the Midwest and the West, go back through, check those out. Uh, so a lot of great tips in there if you're filling out a bracket, which no doubt you are. Uh, so be sure to go back through, check that out. Uh, a lot more great stuff on the way. So thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.